Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek Interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. I work with technical professionals so they can present more effectively in front of non-technical audiences, especially. And you can learn more about that at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. If you are watching this interview, a review would be nice or a like. And if you're listening to it, a review and a like would be nice there as well. So today, my guest is Marilee Lloyd. And I believe she's actually the first architect I've had on on the show, on the podcast. I'm really interested to learn more about how she got into that and and just her journey generally. So welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews, Marilee. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. So I mentioned that you studied architecture. So what was the, the motivation to go into, to, into architecture or at least study it in school? Um, you know, I, I found um, the act of uh, building and creating fascinating. And as I was a kid... I was interested in um, history and how um, culture influenced the built form. Um, and I was also interested in, um, in medicine and genetics. And that, um, that, that sort of melding of everything led me to look at architecture. And then as I developed in my career to slant that, that architecture career towards science and laboratory planning. So I, I developed through architecture and then took that turn into a more uh, science-related laboratory planning field. So kind of a, a unique perspective. My, my dad was a, an engineer. And so um, the, the sort of built environment and what happened with it was always a part of the household conversation. Um, and even, you know, um, well, almost 40, about 37 years ago when I um, graduated from uh, college, um, it was still kind of a, a different thing to be a woman in architecture um, and therefore a woman in many other science-related fields. So um, I, I was lucky in that I never felt like my my parents limited me. Um, the experience was you know, challenging. Um, but uh, super glad I did it. It's a great, it's a, it's a great occupation. Um, I'm, I'm having a delightful time. Wonderful. Now that I think about it, Marilee, one of the guests I had very early on, so this is probably why I didn't even think of it at the time when I first introduced you, she studied architectural engineering. So what's the difference between architectural engineering and architecture? Um, well, it, at a certain level, it depends on the school you go to. Um, but architectural engineering often has uh, a more technical focus. So um, the integration of the built form with the engineering that goes inside of it and the, um, and the technical um, side of putting together that, that building, uh, whereas architecture has that technical part to it, but it also has a very strong design emphasis. So I think I think that gives you um, uh, sort of the parallel or different paths of the two. Got it. You mean you did mention that you 
moved into lab planning. So when you say lab planning, do you mean designing, you know, wet labs? Yeah, yeah. Um, I focus on well, um, I would say it's it's it is the sort of scientific environment um, because that, but it includes wet labs, dry labs, um, which are sort of computational, um, don't have as much um, uh, uh, sinks and drains and things like that, but they can still have a lot of pipe services. Um, so. Uh, they can be um, clean rooms, for example, or production facilities to a certain degree. So um, it is where people are doing scientific discovery. I also do learning environments. So all those uh, labs folks are going to to learn how to, you know, learn chemistry or learn biology. That is something I design, those oh. kinds of spaces. Interesting. I, I didn't even realize that that was something that maybe an architect would focus in specifically. So what motivated you to focus on designing labs? Um, uh, mostly it was my interest in in science. And, um, you know, as I approached college, I, I thought, well, do I want to go into something more medical related or do I want to um, do something like architecture? And really it was as I went through architecture school, I enjoyed I enjoyed it and found that architecture is something I love. But doing um, the design work related to science facilities allows me to bring in that other part of my head and sort of engage all the things I love about uh, uh, designing the built environment. Making uh, I, it breaks down for me to making a space that is engaging and interesting and invigorating for people to do doing science, whether they're learning about science or actually doing the research to produce the science and, you know, to produce stuff. Okay. So, so I just so, find it fun. Well, okay. that's so interesting. So for anyone who is watching or listening to our conversation and maybe they're an architecture student and, and they're thinking, well, maybe I want to get into lab design too. How would you suggest they go about doing so? Um, well, uh, actually once you there there aren't any programs currently that focus on that sort of thing within the an architecture school but um, i would suggest taking some chemistry or biology classes just to um, make sure that science is a, something of interest so when people are talking about science around you you know it starts to make sense and you can put all the pieces together and ask decent questions then when you start to practice look for um, a firm that is doing um, that kind of work and find a, a lab planner, um, a laboratory architect that um, can help teach you and show you how things work. Um, I was lucky enough to work for a time um, at a university uh, and um, learned how to do a variety of different types of laboratories through doing that, uh, both both research and learning spaces. So it's a process. Um, architecture is um, one of those fields where it, it takes a good bit of, of time and focus to to really develop that that body of experience, um, a lot like medicine Interesting. or science. So what type of, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess the the not not necessarily experience, but the the what do you need to know? I guess to to be a, a lab architect as opposed to just an architect, not just but an architect that designs you know, commercial buildings or, or houses, for instance. 
Well, I think one, uh, fundamentally, you have to kind of love science and and be interested in and curious about things like that. Um, you also, um, I, I think the the focus has to be on um, being curious and wanting, and I think architects in general come to the come to the profession with a um, a spirit of curiosity and asking questions of our clients and trying to provide them the best kind of space that they need and solve their problems. But that sort of uh, curiosity and um, interest is is foundational, as is an interest in science. Um, and, um, I, I, you know, at a broader perspective, wanting to make make things better, provide those that, that foundation for scientists, because that's ultimately what we're doing. We're providing the space, the environment, the experience, because it's about designing an experience, really. That's what a building does um, for someone to do great science. So I find that opportunity to engage with these folks doing this fascinating. I learn something every single time, and I, I really enjoy that. Um, I, I like um, the fact that this particular thing, for me, for me, and I think everyone has to come to it their own way, engages both my my interest in understanding how things go together, how the world works, and how um, how this building can support that. Okay, you know when you were talking, Marilee, it made me think about transitioning. So, you know, maybe there's a, someone or people who are listening or watching this is this episode and they're thinking about lab planning or lab, you know, being a lab architect, but they're thinking, well, what if I change my mind at some point and decide I want to design houses or commercial buildings too? What's the, how, how difficult would it be to make those transitions between the different types of, of architecture? Um, I think it's always possible. Um, I, I know a lot of folks who, who worked in the, commercial architecture field and then pivoted as they uh, found opportunities to. So I think it's possible. There's a knowledge base um, one way or another as you go from any particular area of focus within any profession, right? Um, so it takes a little time to make that transition and um, increasingly knowledge bases, bases are uh, more and more specific. So there is time to make that pivot but it's possible it's it's not at all impossible it just takes a, a little time and focus and asking the right questions of fellow professionals and really seeking them out you know if you are interested in something find um, a lab planner like myself um, I'm always open to questions I, I love to hear from folks and help them along in their journey so um, I, I would encourage someone to find a lab planner, ask them questions, see what you can do to help, um, see if it's of something that would be of interest to you. You know, um, it it is a very specific field, but it, it is also kind of in demand right now. Are there specialties even amongst lab planners? And if so, what are they? Um, somewhat. Uh, a lot of folks will focus on doing research environments. Others will focus on um, learning environments. Um, still others focus on different types of buildings, um, be that 
clean rooms, which are um, have our filtered air um, and in, in uh, allow for uh, research in a very specific kind of clean environment. And there are levels to that. Um, it could be uh, a plant sciences building. Uh, so interested in agriculture. Um, it, so there are, yes, there are in fact different types and different areas of focus. Interesting. I've been in a clean room before and it never occurred to me that I, there, I suppose there was an architect who was involved with where in, in putting this, putting this whole, you know, facility together. So it's so, it's so, it's so interesting. I think when I think of architecture, I just think of a house or a building. I never thought of it more specifically than that. So this is really cool. Hopefully the people who are listening or watching this conversation know about this and, and now are thinking, Hey, maybe this is something to, to, to look into. That'd be cool. Yeah. So when it comes to even the, the career that you've had, Marilee, I'm assuming that, you know, the, the days of staying at one place for your entire career and then getting a pension and a gold watch, that's, that, 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 those times are times I've never, I'll never experience because I'm not old enough. But when it comes to that type of thing, I'm assuming that you worked at various places. So when it comes to you making decisions as to where you go next, what your new role is going to be, what criteria do you use to make those decisions? Uh, you know, I, I think there are a couple, um, you know, one is what, what is the challenge I want to undertake? What do I want to learn? Um, what is the experience I want to have in my career? What will make me better and stronger um, as um, a lab planner or just as a person? What is a personal challenge I, I feel like I need? Um, I have been at my current firm, HED, for a little over five years, really loving it. Um, a terrific group of people. And I think um, a lot of what makes a work environment interesting and stimulating and positive is those other people. Because um, whether it's a a science inf environment, whether you're doing research, whether you're teaching people, whether you're an architect, um, it, it is about those collaborations, those interactions, those conversations. And we can do that virtually, you and I here, um, or in person in the office. Um, and, and I think it's those stimulating conversations and the potential for them that makes um, the work interesting no matter what it is and the opportunity to do better stuff a lot of times when i've changed firms it is it was to do more interesting work something that engaged me more the opportunity to lead lead something uh for instance so i think people have to decide at various points in their career what is the next thing they value what is the, you know, and it, it changes for different career paths. Um, but it, it is about finding both what feeds your soul and, you know, what you find of value, what you need. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, I, I've done a number of these interviews, Marilee, and, and whenever I, when I have conversations with people about workplaces, it often comes to talking about culture and how important culture is. So when it comes to the, the work that you've done in the various companies, what type of culture do you prefer? Um, 
as you might guess from my previous conversations, I like that sort of collaborative um, environment where um, I can engage with people across the firm and do a variety of uh, different kinds of work. Um, for example, um, I work in uh, with our science sector uh, doing uh, scientific projects. I also work with our higher education sector um, doing projects within higher ed. I work with our healthcare sector when we do clinical-based projects. I don't do very much in hospitals other than their clinical environments, not their patient environments. Um, so there is a, and I, and I work a lot with our workplace sector in when we do a science environment, those always have offices, collaborative spaces, amenity spaces, and those are equally important to the experience that the people in the buildings are having. So that collaborative um, experience in designing those buildings is really um, a, a driver for me and a thing I like. Interesting. I, I, yeah, I, I, I tend to like those type of environments mm -hmm. myself. But when it comes to, to cultures and they, they can vary amongst companies wildly. But one, yeah. but the, but they certain, but I think most companies, if not all, have have certain things in common. One of which is, if you want to move up within a company, you have to say something. You can't be <laughs> silent. Typically, the, the silent people are the ones who get ignored. You know, I I had a I used I knew used to know this woman, and she was an engineer, and she's a patent attorney now. But back when she was a young engineer in the seventies, she thought that if she just did her job well, people would notice and she'd get promoted. But she realized that wasn't the case. It was the people who advocated for themselves with the appropriate people, the decision makers, who were the people who moved up within companies. Essentially, the people who were good at speaking to people. So when it comes to, at least for me, when I when I first started working, I wasn't that great at speaking with others, but I saw the benefit of getting better at it. Just public speaking generally or, or giving presentations, is that something you've always been good at? And if not, what did you do to get better at it? Um, you know, I... I sort of always thought of myself as a very introverted, quiet person too. Um, and so it takes a lot for me to project and connect, but um, I've found that I get better um, value, better energy out of making those connections. So um, that that's one of those things that's sort of propelled me forward. And I think you're right. Learning that you need to connect with with people to advance your career is super important. Um, I think it's also um, good to understand that having good communication skills, being able to talk to others, it it not only advances your career, it can make you think better. Um, it offers you the chance to engage with people and and learn more about their lives so that you have a broader understanding of things. So um, I, um, when I was a kid, we moved quite frequently. Um, my, my father was offered different opportunities at, other, at firms. And so um, I had to learn to engage with others. And so that, that is one driver towards making me more able to, to talk to other people. 
Um, it's still difficult for me when I go into a room, you know, and there's a bunch of people I don't know. That That's still difficult. Um, but speaking to a group of people um, and delivering a presentation is a little easier, I, I find. Um, and I think everybody's mileage varies. Um, but for me, being able to um, rely on the information I've gathered and the the experience and be able to share that with people. So it's it, it, framing it more as a conversation, I guess, is what helps me. Yeah. When I, I, I I'm the same as you, Marilee. I, I find it much easier to give a presentation than to go into, let's say, a, a networking event and, and speak to people about well, whatever people speak to you know, each other, whatever they speak about at these networking events. I was just at one fairly recently, maybe a couple of days ago. And whenever, at least for me, whenever I go to these type of things, you know, people you walk in and people are already having conversations and you're trying to gauge which conversation do I even want to, to join? And then mm -hmm. you're also, I'm, at least in my mind, I'm also thinking, am I going to be interrupting these people if I just start talking? I mean, you have to wait for the uh, opportunity to even start talking and then when you do start talking is that talking even is it what's the word i'm looking for is it want is it wanted i mean these two the people that could be having a conversation could be just want to speak with each other and then here you come just talking and just pushing out push out your hands like hi my name is such and such it's just like who the hell are you <laughs> it's true it's true and i find it's you know often a whole lot easier to take another person with me so um, it, it is just easier to springboard around if there's another another human that I can interact with. Um, that that usually is uh, makes it a whole lot easier for me because entering a room cold, I I revert to my my way introverted self and do the same things you do. Um, yeah. Yeah, but we got we got to get better, Marilee. It's <laughs> for, true for, for our own sake. It's, and you know, it's very true. You know, something I also struggle with is is going to these events and engaging in conversations that I do not care about at all. I mean, I live in in San Diego, and recently we had uh, what's it called, Hurricane Hillary, or I guess it was downgraded to a tropical storm. So that happened on Sunday. So at the event that I went to a couple of days ago, people were talking about that. I just remember thinking to myself, I do not care about this at all. I have nothing to add to it. I'm not even interested in it at all. So what am I supposed to do? Just stand here and just wait for these people to to finish up on this topic and maybe introduce another topic? And it's just, oh, I, I, can't, I can't stand these things. But at least they got food. So <laughs> There you go. There you go. And, and I find sometimes it's just, you know, useful to say, yeah, yeah, that was a, you know, that, that what we, boy, we got a lot of rain. And, um you know, uh, and move on. Um, luckily I, I wasn't in the San Diego area. So, um, I, but, but from a distance, we saw all the, the warnings and stuff that were about it. So I, I guess, um, I, I might've, I, I guess I could say something like, you yeah, know, how did it go? Were you, you, are you okay? You know, those sorts of just general questions to start to pivot the conversation. But yeah, it, it those pivot points are really hard, you know, in a, in a group conversation, it, it is, you know, so what do you do? It just seems to come out of 
left field sometimes, but one hundred percent that's everyone's pretty much go to. And and at least for me, once you've answered that for the you know the umpteenth time, it's kind of boring answering that same question. But I can I st- I can understand why people would ask it. They don't really know you, so what else are they supposed to ask? Ask about ask about Hurricane Hillary. Here's what happened on Sunday. It rained a lot, but then Monday was fine. there was like no wait at all people were out walking it was the sun was out you wouldn't have even known that there there was this huge hurricane or tropical storm that came through it just it was sunday was a lot of rain i even went out i I got a message on my phone saying we were supposed to hunker down we're supposed to get food you know make sure we were sheltered and all that i still went out a couple times on sunday (laughs) but then monday was just like nothing ever happened wow Yeah, you know, I suppose at a certain point, it's good to be prepared. But, you know, um, I and the whole, uh, yeah, having those, I think people rely on those weather kinds of conversations, simply because they're easy. Um, And it gives them something to fill space. Um, So I maybe it's maybe one thing that you and I and people like us could do is uh, find those kinds of qu- prepare four questions, you know, just to, to as, Oh, kind of little thought starters before you go into an event, you know, something that's relative to or relevant rather to um, whatever the focus of the event is, you know, um, if it's a sport event, something about baseball or, you know, uh, whatever it happens to be, or if it's a, a science event, something about a uh, certain research that you think these people might be interested in, just, you know, an icebreaker. Um, yeah. yeah, that, 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 I think you're onto something because it's, especially now, I mean, if you were to ask somebody at a networking event in San Diego about the weather, I mean, the answer would be pretty short. It's sunny. Yeah. I, San Diego is one of those, those places where in general, the, the weather is consistently, you know, what is it? I would say 80s to 70s for highs most of the time. You know, you're you're within that band and the, it doesn't get a whole more chillier, chillier, boy, more chilly than um, 50 or so. Um, and it's just, so the weather is one of those constants. Um, maybe something else needs to be the, the dynamic thing that you bring in. <laughs> yeah, we got to move on from weather for sure. This, this is not a four season area. That That's for sure. You know, Marilee, when it comes, when, when I first started this podcast, it, it all really stemmed from my own struggles, giving presentations in front of people. And when I, I thought that maybe other people with more technical backgrounds had those same struggles. And I was curious mm-hmm. to see what they did to, to overcome them. So when it comes to the presentations that you give, and one of the issues I used to have was just getting really nervous before giving presentations. Is is nervousness something that you that that, that succumbs or that 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 you deal with, and 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 so how do you manage your nerves? Um, yes, it it is, and what I have tried to do is, um, and I think it it has dissipated a little bit, and I've been able to for sort of focus and change it over the years so that. It becomes energy, um, and and I use it as energy to make my my conversation and movement more um, 
more purposeful during the present presentation. Um, I tend to, when I'm speaking in front of, um, at a conference, for example, when I'm speaking into, in front of a, an audience of about 50 or more, um, I'll move around so that um, not only are they looking at what's on the screen, they may be engaged by my own movement to keep their, you know, their brains and their minds active. So, and to feed my own energy so that it becomes, it feels more dynamic. Um, so being able to use those nerves to make a better presentation and to, to not let it bother you, uh, well, maybe not, not let it stop you. It's going to bother you. Just don't let it stop you. Um, I have also realized over time, having attended these things, that most people want you to do well. They're rooting for you. You know, they, they want whatever information you can give them. They want you to do a nice job. So they're not out to hurt you. Um, so once that sort of flipped in my brain, it became easier because these people were with me. They're not against me. And so understanding it from that perspective made it a little bit easier too. Nice. Yeah, I think you're right. In, in most instances, people don't want to see you wet the bed when you're up there giving a presentation. Exactly. At some point, they may be the one up there giving a presentation themselves, and, and they wouldn't want to think that the people in the audience want them to do poorly as well. So this, right. has, been a real, this has been a great conversation, Marilee. Thank you so much for being a guest. How can people get in touch with you? Um, you can reach me um, at, at my email. It's mloyd at H-E-D dot design and m-l-l-o-y-d at h-e-d dot design excellent well everyone that marks the end of another edition of teach the geek interviews my name is neil thompson i'm the founder of teach the geek i work for technical professionals so they can present more effectively especially in front of non-technical audiences and you can learn more about that at teachthegeek.com again that's teachthegeek.com until next time take care and stay safe thanks Marilee. thank you Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Or on all of them. Also, if you prefer to watch the episodes, head on over to the YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Until next time.